0: Family. Scarlett Lewis is the founder of the Jesse Lewis Choose Love movement. She founded this organization on the heels of her son, six year old son, Jesse Lewis, being murdered during the Sandy Hook Elementary School tragedy. She's joining us today and having a conversation because so much of what she's learned. And so much of what she's been able to achieve and so much of how she's able to live has been something that she thinks can help people right now. And I'm certainly, certainly grateful to her for having a conversation with us in the presence of where we are living today. Uh, So please enjoy this conversation, learn from this conversation, be inspired and hopefully teach from Scarlett's conversation. Scarlett, we've been waiting for you. Ah, thank you, Janice. It's such an honor to be here with you. No, thank you. Thank you so much. And your willingness, your engagement to continue to have these conversations right now when the world is so crazy, it's just meaning a lot more to more of us than you would have imagined before. I think your conversations and your teaching, your books have all helped us in so many ways, but right now in particular, are you finding people responding that way?
1: Absolutely. I mean, this is becoming a a conversation that's more and more important. As we continue to have these high and low grade stressors invading our lives every day, all day long. We have this 24-7 information pushed to us, the majority of which is negative. And it really makes uh, these conversations really even more important.
0: Well, you use the word invading our lives. (laughs) <laughs> and um it, you know, everything matters, right? It's true. Um, I I I think you kind of leaned in, perhaps better than I did, with the question I'm asking you, because so many people do feel invaded and, and 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 that unfortunately is not a quip on words right now, is it?
1: It's it's not. I mean, you we're walking this fine line between wanting to have information that is so relevant to our safety and health. And at the same time, not wanting to allow too much of it in or too negative or too many opinions that aren't relevant to the truth. It's just such a, it's such an interesting time. I try to look at it with curiosity and fascination when I'm trying to maneuver it myself. Yeah, and, 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 and uh, curiosity, fascination, those
0: aren't typically words people attack to what's happening right now. Um, but I think they are the appropriate ones. I think they really do help us to um, think about things a little bit before we act about them. Um, and I don't know if that's your meaning or if that's your intent.
1: No, it is. It is to put the things that are happening into perspective for ourselves first, and then we can do that for our children. I mean, I, I've heard a lot of people saying how stressed they are right now, what a stressful environment it is. And I think it's really important to remember that there are two kinds of stresses. All stress isn't created equal, and you've got you stress which is the stress that uh, you're very familiar with. It gets you up in the morning. It's a productive stress. You feel good about it. And at night, you feel like you've accomplished something. Um, But then there's distress. And I feel like, you know, I've been on this journey for nine years and I'm seeing more and more distress. And really there's a difference. The difference is, do you see something as a challenge or do you see something as a threat? And, uh, you know, there's an acronym for fear, and that is false evidence appearing real. And the fact of the matter is the vast majority of what we fear every day. And of course, our brains are this incredible organ. They just want to keep us safe. So we have this this negative bias where we really seek out the negative to keep us safe. It's not a bad thing, we just have to be aware of it. And then we have to have perspective over what our fearful thoughts are. Are they actual threats? To ourselves and our families, or are they challenges? And that way you can put them into two different categories between you stress and distress. And I bet a lot of what we're distressing about could be moved over to the challenge category. And then you can look at stress as literally what it is, our body's way of rising to the occasion to meet a challenge.
0: Well, <clears throat> nobody. Nobody has risen to the occasion to meet a challenge. Stronger, better, and in a more caring and sharing way than you have. And um, Scarlett, are we okay to talk a little bit about nine years ago? Are we able to talk a little bit about Jesse today? Absolutely, Janice, And the my other, favorite subject. And, and the <laughs> yes, please, please honor him with us, please.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Yes, Jesse McCord Lewis, my little 11 pound newborn, (laughs) if you can believe it, Uh, just kind of larger than life right out of the gate, loud and happy and boisterous uh, and was with us for six years before he was gunned down in his first grade classroom alongside 19 of his first grade classmates and six educators in one of the worst mass murders in US history.
0: And you talk about stress and you parcel it to fear and you teach us that we can move it uh, from distress to you stress how do you how do you make that journey are you still on that journey? I mean
1: I am, because you experienced both. I'm on that journey every single day Janice every day uh, I am I am working through that process of which one is it just like everybody else uh, I didn't know what I know now. Nine years ago, this has been my journey. Nine years ago, I was maneuvering the horrific murder of my six year-old son and just like I, I mean horrendous uh, uh, catastrophic way. I mean I I, I had I just completely blindsided me. <laughs> Things like that don't happen to people like me right, and right. Uh, and so, Um, but, but I did, I may have handled it a little bit differently in that I knew that what happened was preventable and I knew that I couldn't go back to my life. I mean, that had been taken from me. My six-year-old son was dead and I was a single mom with two boys. I was never going back to the life that I loved Uh, But I changed everything about my life and I dedicated my life to being part of the solution to the issues that we're seeing. And I wanted to take a little bit of a a different approach. perspective on that. I mean, I didn't want to spend the rest of my life blaming, finger pointing, fault finding. I didn't want to spend the rest of my life against something. I knew that what we had been doing clearly wasn't working. But at the same time, I was juggling this this responsibility as a mother with a surviving sibling that was 12 years old at the time knowing that I was going to be modeling for him how to navigate this tragedy from the moment that it happened. (laughs) Going forward, I wanted to rise to the occasion and be the best version that I could. I, I tried every moment to be in the present moment so that I could thoughtfully respond, so that I wouldn't react, so that my son could learn from me, so that I could be better than I actually was and show him the way. I didn't want this to destroy our lives. I wanted us to continue to move forward and to have joy in our lives and and to have Good lives, full. And, uh, And so I went on a path to try to find out what that looked like. And then I wanted to take the wisdom that I gained through my experience and use it to help other people do the same thing. And that's what moved you to choose love. Yes, and I will say, I have to give a shout out to my son, Jesse because he left a message on our kitchen chalkboard shortly before he died. He wrote three words, nurturing, healing, love. And they were phonetically spelled because he was in first grade and just learning to write. But I tell you, when I saw those, I was stunned. I knew that if the shooter, who was a recent graduate of the Newtown school system, had been able to give and receive, nurturing, healing, love. The tragedy would never have happened. Jesse laid it out right there. It was so simple. Of course, simple isn't always easy, but I literally started from that day forward to try to figure out how do we get more of this into our schools, into our homes, into our communities? What is the formula for being able to thoughtfully respond with love? And that's what we now teach uh, at no cost all over the world.
0: Scarlett, to give us perspective, um, because if there's Anybody in our family, we call our listening audience our family. If there's anybody in our family who hasn't heard of you before and just happened to have been under a rock for nine years, um, share with us what life was like for the whole family before that, before that horrible, horrible mass murder.
1: Oh, what life was like. I mean, the boys and I live on a little farm in the middle of Sandy Hook, And uh, I remember driving onto it. It was out of my price range and I really had to maneuver (laughs) to to be able to buy it. But it was, I, I drove in and I just pictured myself living on this place, being so happy and through a bunch of different, I don't know, things that happened, which were amazing. I was able to purchase it. And so I was raising my boys with with sheep and chickens and goats and horses and mini horses and a bunch of dogs. And we were outside a lot and gardening and getting dirt under our fingernails and playing. And, uh, you know, Janice, I remember the day that I realized that I spend, you know, I was a single working mom supporting two boys. So I remember the day that I realized I spend more time at work than I do with my boys during the week. And so that was the day I literally came home. I unplugged my TV. I dropped it off to Goodwill the next morning. And I was just specifically present with my boys. I, I wanted to spend every waking moment with them. So we read together. We played board games. We ate together. We looked into each other's eyes. We we scrapped around on the floor and wrestled. I mean, we were always together. And uh, and for that, by the way, I I have few regrets. And and the way to live your life, then I learned. Uh, with having the fewest regrets possible is to be present with the ones that you love, and and I was. My mom lives across town, and she was constantly involved, and we had a a beautiful life. It was filled with. Uh, You know, bunnies being born outside and me leaving the bacon on the the uh, the stove to uh, to having firemen come because I was so distracted and JT running around and getting change and offering it to them to buy cups of coffee. I mean, just so many incredible little stories and so fun. The boys out and back taking horseback riding lessons. What a blessed life. Um, having friends over, jumping on the trampoline, uh, picking fruit off our trees. It's a very small farm, but we fit a lot in, and we fit a lot of life into Jesse's six years. And,
0: you know, I'm going to ask you several questions now that help, I think, all of us who are faced with, maybe not to the extent, but certainly uh, losing loved ones, maybe not to the extent of the tragedy of uh, Sandy Hook. Um, but when you lose somebody you love, you've lost someone you love. Before oh, I-
1: yes, there's no grief comparison, none at all. The, the loss is a loss and grief is grief. Absolutely.
0: And and I think that's important to part of the conversation I want to have with you. Um, But before we go there, can we give honor to uh, Jesse's brother as well and talk a little bit about him? Because one of the things that my husband shared with me and my husband uh, transitioned just over a year ago of Alzheimer's, Mm -hmm. Uh, thankfully he, he was with us, so he was not Covid at risk, uh, but he did pass of Alzheimer's. Um, but I remember him telling me early in our relationship, Scarlett, how when his sister died of an illness, MS, um, how it impacted him and his other sister, and he was not yet a teenager, but his older sister was. Having them been five years apart, the three of mm-hmm. them. And he talked about how they each had different uh, impact, but as they got to be an adults, they shared some of the same impact that they they had as well. Um, Let's give honor to Jesse's brother. Let's talk about him and respectful that he is alive, only within the framework of how we should be thinking about survivor siblings.
1: Absolutely. Uh, JT was 12 years old when his little brother was murdered. And it was very difficult for him. As you can imagine, he was so angry. And uh, I didn't have the skills and tools to help him. Um, Therapy didn't really help him. Um, and before that, he was, uh, you know, a middle schooler, happy. He's always played soccer. He's an avid soccer player. In fact, Jesse grew up on the sidelines, running back and forth with his own soccer ball, always wanting to be like his big brother. And, uh, and so when the tragedy happened, I think that it was very hard on JT and I mean, you you have similar, I think maybe to me, you have this idea that a big brother is a protector and you weren't able to do that. And you always think about maybe uh, the last fight that you had and you have fights with your little brother and then you, you feel bad about them. So um, he, he is incredible. In the way that he chose to thoughtfully respond, and he had incredible experiences after as well. He had a group of orphan genocide survivors from Rwanda Mm. that reached out to him on Skype in his room because he didn't want to go back to school and I didn't want to send him back. I was afraid. And, you know, they, they basically talked about their experience when in 1994, over 1 million Tutsis were murdered by their neighboring Hutus uh, within 90 days. And, and these uh, two orphan genocide survivors were young then. Their parents were killed, their siblings were killed, they grew up in camps. And so they, said to JT, Hey, you know, we heard about what happened to your little brother all the way over here in Rwanda. And we just wanted to reach out and tell you how sorry we are. But we also wanted you to know that you're going to be okay. And you're also going to feel joy again. And I think that for both of us, because I was standing behind him, uh, that woke us up and we thought, wow, now here's somebody that that's been through something worse than we have. And they're telling us we're going to be okay." I think that we both wondered at that point, because anything that anyone had said up to that point was just just kind of off the mark. You know, they're they're telling us how we should feel and what's going to happen. But they didn't know. And they'd never been through it themselves. And and here were a couple of people that had, and it was so incredible, so life-changing for both of us as they walked us through their healing process, uh, which included forgiveness and having the courage to step outside of whatever was happening in their life and use that wisdom to help other people. And after that, JT actually uh, came to me and he had this whole plan written out in a journal. And he said, mom, I'm going to go back to school tomorrow. And I was surprised because I wasn't telling him to. And I said, well, all right, you, you made this decision and, and why? And he said, because I want to raise money for them. And I want to help them with their dream of going to college. Mm -hmm. And so this is really important because I learned something really amazing through JT. He started just sitting at sports games and selling, you know, the rubber bands that um, people have around their wrist that said, and he started an organization. He was 12 years old, newtownhelpsrwanda.org. And just started, you know, getting a dollar or two here or there. And within a couple of months, he had raised enough money to send one of the orphan genocide survivor to university for a year. And he made a commitment to send her to the next three years. He was going to continue to raise money. And she collapsed. On that news that was not Mm. something that she expected at all and i remember him looking at me and saying is she okay and i said jt you know a little bit of of effort on your behalf has fundamentally changed a life around the world and it made him feel so good and it was kind of like a little forward movement in the healing process And so he continued and he continued. He sent another uh, one of the young people to uh, school. And then he built self sustaining fish ponds for former children soldiers and a poultry operation. He helped a bunch of kids in the United States. And I saw by watching him how powerful getting outside of ourselves is to help others. And amazingly, that helps. Us And I think before that I really thought the healing process was working on yourself, you know, going in and uh, talking it through and hashing it out but only with yourself, and what he made me realize was that really it is getting outside of yourself and helping other people and connecting with other people and sharing stories. And uh, it, it was it was a, a pivotal time for me as well as I was starting the Choose Love movement.
0: You know, for far, far, thank you so much for that, Scarlett. For far, far less, uh, I remember um, circumstances I remember growing up when every one of my 10 siblings or I would have issues or feel low mom would say get outside yourself and go help somebody else mm. Get outside yourself outside and go help somebody else and 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 I mean I can't think you know pastor says you can't have a testimony without having a test and so I think the test you've been through really gives a light to what you're sharing did you change And and parenting, I know, is not formulaic and uh, quite iterative at best, right? In its best times. Did you change how you approached parenting after that? I'm not talking about the uh, initial, and I know it's still, still present, the initial shock around this murder. But as you continue to go through healing and you and JT started to do the kinds of things you described he was doing for Rwanda in his healing process. Did it change
1: how you approached parenting? Did it change anything about it? Well, I had been on quite a journey before that as well uh, in trying to parent as a single parent and learning early on that it was better to uh, reward good behavior then discipline bad behavior. And I learned, you know, through mistakes. And so, um, but to answer your question, yes. I mean, I've changed, you know, it's interesting because I would say that I am a completely different person now than I was uh, nine years and a day ago, the day before twelve fourteen. 14. Um, but I have a lot of really dear friends that I've known for over 40 years who will say that I haven't changed so that's kind of interesting um, but as far as parenting um, I, I I realize and and I realized before um, the value of being present and of actively listening and uh, not not half listening not like uh, hold on for a minute I'm finishing off it what did you want to say i'm just finishing a text that type of thing literally mm-hmm. just dropping everything when your child wants to to share with you and um and just having the perspective of how precious life is i i, I mean i i loved my life and i loved my kids and i practiced being present with them but you never realize how fragile life is and how it can be taken in 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 the craziest of ways and and not not to say not to live your life in fear at all uh just to be present and and really really listen and and i know that my relationship with jt has grown through this i mean we've both grown as individual people we've grown together and uh uh It's, it is, it is different now. Um, It's, it's richer. It's um, the colors are more vivid. There's more detail that we notice every day. We, we don't see anything the same way. Uh, I remember when my aunt, uh, I was very young and my aunt lost her daughter to leukemia. And I remember her saying, that she didn't see color for years after that. And so I remember after Jesse's murder thinking, I wonder when I'm gonna stop seeing color. And this was a big deal to me because I've uh, painted for 30 years and art is a really important part of my life. And I thought I may not be able to do that again for several reasons. One, because I painted my kids. <laughs> they were my subjects. And, uh, and for another, I mean, I just I appreciate things in detail and colors. And I will say that um, I will say that a tragedy, a loss of a child, uh, I can liken it to um, having a beautiful painting, which is your life, and then. Uh, having a varnish that is uh, over it. So it is permanently changed. Everything about it is changed. It's different. Um, but it's 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 still beautiful. It's still beautiful. it's just different and uh, and so that's that's kind of an answer to your question a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it, it
0: definitely is. And it's your answer. That's what matters. Uh, hearing your voice. Uh, because, you know, when we look at you, before I ask you that, though, let me ask you this. Um, Scarlett, options or other than love are indifference, um, all kinds of, right? But the opposite is typically thought of as hate over the over the last week or so and you'll know this is since we actually invited you to come on Mm -hmm. okay over the last week or so I have had several questions put to me not necessarily for my response as a matter of fact too I'm going to ask you to help us with um and I promised the two people that you were coming on, I would ask you. Um, they they were just asked out loud, you know, as 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 expression. One question was, "How do I stop hating? And this question came from someone who I know really well mm-hmm. and is a Christian and practices their faith from from where I sit. You know, pretty decently. And she didn't lose a child, but one of her nephews was murdered Mm -hmm. um, in a city. Mm -hmm. And she said, How do I stop hating? Mm -hmm. Murders have gone on in that city for some time. And so she was not oblivious to it happening. But hate happened as she expressed it. Maybe it was there and it blew up. I don't know. But hate happened as she expressed it to me and mm-hmm. asked the question how do I stop hating?
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and she's right. Hate did happen. And I can talk from my own experience where hate happened there as well. Um, the former student, Adam Lanza, he was filled with hate hate um and you know i i paused after the tragedy and i watched everyone's reactions and there was all of this res- responding hate towards he and his mother his mother had provided the gun and uh and then of course he had perpetrated the crime um and rather than jump to hate myself i got curious and i thought what was his life like what would lead someone to do something like that we know hurt people hurt people was that the case for him too and i started learning things about his life and he was bullied relentlessly by almost everyone. He was isolated. Uh, I mean, there are little stories that came to light. Like uh, he was, uh, what came to school one day in, in first grade to Sandy Hook Elementary School, the same school he came back to perpetrate the crime. He and his mom had made, birthday invitations. So his backpack was filled with them. He came to school. He passed them out and no one came to his birthday party. Uh, Another time he had uh, written a book. It was called The Book of Granny. And he had written out copies and he had brought them to school. He was going to sell it. Instead, it was taken. And it was about a witch that came to the school with a broomstick And the top of the broomstick opened, by the way, he was in fifth grade, the top of the broomstick opened and the witch murdered children. Now, I mean, we know now that, and in hindsight, of course, that he was saying, this is what's in my mind. I don't know how to handle it or cope with it. I'm writing it on paper. Uh, In essence, help me. And the paper was taken, but nothing was done. There was no follow-up. So I I felt empathy for him. I, I, I felt his pain. And- how soon, how
0: soon were you able to go to empathy?
1: And I know it's different for everyone. I'm talking- It about- is, it is. And it's not that I didn't have anger. Uh, and, and, but I, I have to say I went towards empathy very soon after because I was shocked at the brutality of the murders and, and how many as the world was. And I thought, how could a recent graduate of high school perpetrate such a heinous Crime that shocked the world, and it turns out, uh, you know, and and I I I looked at the similarities. I mean, uh, his mother was a single mom dealing with a son who had very obvious and serious issues. She didn't know how to deal with those. Mm. She tried to get help. It's hard to get help. I know that, I've tried myself. So I, I saw her, I saw the struggle and I saw his pain. I could almost put myself in her shoes and, and understand how difficult it was. Here's the other thing. I thought, if it really is all their fault, 150, I mean, obviously she made a huge lethal by the way, because Adam killed her as she slept on his way out that morning. So it was a lethal mistake that she made of giving him access to that gun. But if it really was all their fault, let's say, uh, Adam Lanza and his mom, and they are all, they're 100% at fault, then it would never have happened before. See, it didn't really make sense to me because wait a minute, it had happened before. Many, many times, there were many uh, school shooters And then it's happened 350 times since then. So really, I thought, who's responsible here? Well, of course, it is the shooter and his mother. They're responsible. I'm not saying it wasn't heinous and and terrible. It was. It took my son's life. But I took it to the next step. Where is the breakdown in the processes that enable this kind of thing to happen over and over and over again? And then I asked, well, is it gun control? Because there was a very strong gun control contingent at that point. And in fact, there was a lot of pressure for the parents to join the gun control movement at that time. But I thought, for me, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's not working. That's not reducing the amount of guns on the street. It's not reducing the amount of violence. Violence increased 30% last year. So what is the problem? And I wanted to take it deeper. I wanted to address the cause of the suffering that led Adam Lanza to perpetrate that heinous crime that took the life of my son. What was, he wasn't born a mass murderer he was born you know as we believe a, a perfect child of god then then what what led him to becoming this monster that's what i wanted to tackle and that's what the choose love movement is all about and it turns out <laughs> i didn't start off with this intention but it turns out that this also uh, addresses the cause of a lot of substance abuse and mental illness and other issues that we're experiencing in our society. And it turns out we can actually reduce and prevent the suffering before it happens in a lot of cases.
0: Going through how is bigger a conversation than I think you and I are having right now. Although certainly, you know, uh, give a shot if you want. But, but there I'll was say. One can I
1: say as well? Can I yeah. say as well? Just, just because I didn't want to spend the rest of my life hating, and I could have, and I saw other people start to do that, and I had this twelve-year-old son that was looking at me, saying basically saying without words, "How are we going to move through this?" What is the rest of my life going to look like? How are we going to handle this? And he's looking to me, and I didn't want to hate. That doesn't—it's not productive, and it certainly isn't productive to me. People ask me, "Why did you forgive?" (laughs) It wasn't that popular of a decision, by the way, because I made it early on and I started talking about it, and and people people they say, "Oh, I can't believe you could forgive the man who murdered your son," but for me. I did it for me. I did it for my son. I did it because I was not going to allow this incredibly rageful, uh, uh, very, very mentally ill young man have control over my thoughts that impact how I felt, that then impacts how I behave and how I show up in my relationships. But the only way that I knew to take my personal power back and not allow him to have control was through forgiveness. And and being compassionate and and feeling compassion and empathy for him helped me a lot in that process early on.
0: You had to have felt some kind of way when you, or some kind of kinship, I should say, uh, with the people in um, in the church in South Carolina, when they chose forgiveness over hate, they it had impacted you. Um, I I I have one more question. I committed to ask you specifically, okay. and this was a question that is um, about guilt, feeling guilty, uh, living past your child, and I'm not asking you to be a psychiatrist. I'm not asking you to uh, offer any kind of advice. It's more about sharing your experience. If you had any experience of survivor guilt that you can share.
1: right off the bat. Absolutely. Absolutely. I remember going from the firehouse that day after finding out that Jesse was murdered, that we weren't going to be reunited and we had to leave without him. And we were put into a white van and driven to our car because there was so much media already outside. And I remember getting to my car. My mom was with me, she was gonna drive. And I remember looking in the back seat and there was a a car seat, you know, like a a little car seat that that Jesse was still riding in. Mm. And I thought, like, this is my child. I am responsible for his safety and he uh, brought him to school as his dad says brought him to school with a book bag and then he came home in a baddie bag i mean how does that even happen um and yeah there was there was there was guilt and i have to say that i really relied on my faith for that guilt um that uh, I, I I had to believe that he is in a better place, and I do believe that, and, and that there was some purpose that, that I didn't understand, <laughs> something that, that was going to come out of this that was going to help other people. And I I really relied on my faith. And then you can take guilt to the next level because then I thought about, you know, times when I made mistakes as a parent. Mm. Um, I remember one night uh, I just was, I just had had it up to here. You know, I was tired and the kids were fighting And so I sent them both to their rooms in timeouts and they had massive timeouts and I wouldn't do that now, but they did then. And their timeouts were on the bed, laying down, no, nothing, no games, no, nothing, just having to think. And so I sent Jesse into his room and, uh, it was for an hour and that was a long time. He was six years old and I went in to check on him and he was asleep. And I just thought, Mm -hmm. you know what? I'm gonna leave him. He can he can stay asleep because you know I'm tired and I'm gonna to go to bed. I think about that. I think about him just a few days before. Uh, I had bought uh, you know a bunch of clothes. A uh, couple you know I don't know a month or two earlier. It was probably actually because it was December 14th. It probably was even in the fall. And I remember saying wear your new clothes. And I remember him coming in with some uh, pants. And he, he was like, mom, I can't even button them. And they were like four inches too short. And I was so annoyed. I'm like, those are new. You didn't even wear them. Zip them up anyway, because you're going to be wearing them. You know what I mean? like, And then I thought, this is so not productive. You know, I mean, I I did make mistakes as a parent. And so then I had to forgive myself. And I had to think, you know what? My mind will move me to those places. And I have to just... I have to refocus my thoughts to gratitude and to the good times that we had because there was so many and they far outweighed the bad times.
0: I I, I recall my husband saying to me that adult siblings laugh about what surviving uh, siblings cry about. And he said his mom had told him that. He's Yorkshire born British. And he said she had told him that you know the things that you cry about like the last time you saw them you were angry or the Mm. kind of things you're describing and she said if both of you survive you laugh about it but if one of you survives you cry about it Mm. i can see that yeah um i i want to ask you something that has it is more my question and thank you for answering that there they will listen to this podcast and be really helped by it. Thank you so much for that, Scarlett. Um, When we look at how um, you describe Sandy Hook, it's most often described or referenced as a tragedy, and you've referred to it several times in our conversation as a murder, once as a mass murder. Mm -hmm. Is that a choice you're making? Is that an emotional response? response or is that uh is that a teaching for us or or, or all I mean two things three things can be true
1: that's a really great question so I remember taking my first call from a reporter after the tragedy and uh and I I, um my mom was listening in because I was staying at her house at the time and I said murder many times and when I got off my mom said you know what? Don't say murder because murder just sounds so harsh and it's just such a hard word for people to hear. Can you say death or loss or, and, and I said, and, and it's interesting because the other parents and I discussed this because people want to pretty it up a little bit, right? Oh, sorry <laughs> for your loss. Uh, and, and I remember the other mom saying I didn't lose anything. It's not like I had a child and lost him. He was murdered. And that really rang true with me. And I think that it's really important that we say it like it is. This is a tragedy. And I think a tragedy is something that doesn't necessarily have to happen uh, it, it, in in our case, it was preventable, so it it was a it was a tragedy. He was brutally murdered, and sometimes I use that word, <laughs> and I know I've seen people cringe, and then I regret it. But I mean, that's that's the reality of it, and maybe using those words are going to spur other people to become involved and stand up and say, our kids need to be safe. And they deserve to be safe. They're entitled to safety, and it is our responsibility to keep them safe. And it is just absolutely insane to me that that in the back of a lot of parents' minds are their kids aren't aren't safe, and and we have to change that.
0: There are parents right now, uh, not just in Europe, although. Definitely uh, on all of our media right now, the focus is on Europe. There are parents right now who are dealing with deaths. This morning, I saw on one of the coverages that a pregnant woman said, kill me now because her baby was in distress, her unborn child. Neither one of them made it. Uh, So, Mm -hmm. you know, perchance her ask, was the answer, but certainly that wasn't her prayer, you know, that was an ask. The thing I'm asking you now is um, when we look at where parents, friends, neighbors, family are with the children who are dying and or surviving this war, without politics to it how do we best um, how do we best help for that because children aren't just surviving this war who are present to it children in a physical way children are surviving this war who are witness to it through all types of media and at all ages. Um, how do we talk to that? Do you know?
1: That is, that is the question of the day. That's the most important question. And I think it's interesting first to go back and to know that our children are privy to a lot more violence than we realize uh, anyway, I mean, I know there's this war now that's playing and then out. we
0: were. And then we were, if we are over a certain
1: age, it may have been happening, but we weren't privy to it. To your well, bill. it might interest you that there's research that shows. I think the research came out in 1998 that yeah. by the time a child was in fifth grade, they would have witnessed eight thousand violent killings, and by the time they were eight, and you're not talking about video. I'm talking about everything, everything. But this That's was a while ago. I mean, idiotic. I think this was before you know we had cell phones in our back pocket that at we games. looked at all day long. I, right. And uh, and and 250,000 acts of violence by the time they were 18 over 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 the span of their lifetime and everything that they engaged with by then. That was 1998. Can you imagine what that is now? And now. We have a front row seat to the worst of humanity, and we are watching it play out in front of our eyes. And, uh, you know, I, I've kind of dealt with this uh, for the last nine years with um, being asked, what age do you share Jesse's story with? You know, and, uh, and there's a lot of times that people don't want to share it with kids that are less than fifth grade and and we don't in our programming but the thing is our children know more than we think that they do Mm -hmm. um you know even if Uh, I was in a parent, uh, a a community event the other night, and we had this conversation. It was so interesting because there were parents that said, "I, I don't, you know, I don't want my, I don't want to have a conversation with my fifth grader about school shootings. I just don't want them to know they exist. And then another parent said, well, what do you think they think the active shooter drills are about then? Like they know and, you know, we've, we've introduced this. So it is our responsibility to have the conversation with them. And, uh, and so, I mean, I'm just, I'm building up to getting to this front uh, row seat to a war that is going on that our kids are privy to and reading about and seeing bombs. And I mean, it is upsetting for me. And so I, I you know for, for children, I know that it's even more upsetting. And I think that um, that necessitates us having the conversation. I mean, we're stronger together. We're coming out of this uh, social uh, isolation, really social distancing era. and we're social social creatures. We need one another. We need to speak. We need to look into each other's eyes. And, uh, and so I would say, um, to the parents that are listening, have the conversation, ask first, what are you hearing? Mm -hmm. What do you know? Because right now, isn't it difficult even for you to try to distinguish what is the truth? What is a a political opinion? I know you said keep politics out of it, but there's so many, like for the first time I studied journalism. So Mm. in journalism, uh, you're not supposed to give your opinion. It is simply facts. And, uh, and so I think it's morphed more into opinions depending on where you're reading. And so, um, you know, so there's a lot of opinion pieces out there and uh helping your child kind of understand what the facts are why this is happening and also it's really important to know that that you don't hate a whole uh constituency of people it's it's a very very few Uh, it's 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 less than 2% of people that make these decisions to go to war. Really, the the, the people don't want war. We just wanna live our lives. We just wanna be with our kids. We just want peace. And, And that goes for the Russian people, for the majority as well, as well as the Ukrainians, as well as Americans. Uh, and as well as the NATO countries, <laughs> we want peace. And so just realizing that it's a, a few people that are, are and I'm going to use this, but it's actually true, even in this situation, that are uh, hurt people. Uh, they don't have, uh, obviously, they do not have respect for human life. Um, they don't have the capacity for compassion, clearly, or you would never be doing what we're seeing on TV. And um, by the way, uh, these these are are essential life skills that can be taught. They can be taught, and you know, a lot of a lot of people say, well, yeah, yeah, they're taught by their parents, but but clearly, <laughs> not all parents teach these essential life skills, or even have them themselves. So if they don't, how do people get them? And it's through schools where they are either practicing and reinforcing what these kids are learning at home, or they're learning it for the first time. And these are really important skills and tools like like having compassion for your fellow human being.
0: Wow. Um. Let's talk about your books. Tell us about, we know what motivated you to write the books. And certainly as you just shared that you have a background in education in journalism, you were equipped to write the book, your voice, your message. Tell us about the books.
1: My first book was written eight months after the tragedy. I did not want it to coincide with the first anniversary, um, but it was about the first six months of my journey and just really kind of details and how I navigated that and how I moved from, you know, the devastation that you can understand to being able to choose love.
0: A mother's journey or from Sandy Hook?
1: That's a mother's journey. Mm hmm. It's called Nurturing Healing Love, and it's about finding that message on the kitchen chalkboard and literally internalizing it, enabling me to choose love over anger, hatred, resentment, fear, and uh, and trying to do that in everything that I do moving forward and in the message of the Choose Love movement. And then from Sandy Hook to the World is really about the Choose Love movement, and that is how we've been able to spread. It's a movement. You, you get involved, and uh, we we don't do uh, advertising. It's by word of mouth and, mm. uh, and referral, and literally, we're uh, in over 10,500 schools. We're in every state. We're in 125 countries, and that is because... We are all the same in the want and need to love and be loved. As human beings, we all have this want to love and be loved. That's connection, belonging. When we don't have that, we suffer. And And, and
0: because it's so vital, the messaging, the teaching, um, the education of it, can you just repeat for people the title and how to get it, even though I'll certainly have it
1: run with this as well. Absolutely, it's called From Sandy Hook to the World. And it's literally about the Choose Love movement. And it's about how it has transformed and even saved people's lives around the world. It's about how states have taken the programming that we have and used it to keep their kids safe in schools. Uh, because it addresses the cause of violence, and uh, and a lot of the other suffering. Uh, it's about how um, we've been able to spread the message far beyond uh, where you would traditionally think that it would go. That's schools, homes, and communities, how it's gone into foster care and governmental agencies and first responders and uh, the Department of Corrections. I just attended the first two graduating classes in New Hampshire in their prison system of, of Choose Love graduates. So it's gone everywhere because these are essential life skills that we're not born with. And if we don't learn them at home and or in school, uh, we grow up to be adults and we don't necessarily have them. And, and by the way, that was me. I was 44 years old when Jesse was murdered. And I started researching how to reduce the suffering that caused that. And I realized very quickly... I don't have a lot of these skills and tools. Now, my parents were great. They were divorced, but like a lot of other people's parents, they were, they were fine. Um, they didn't teach me these skills and tools. They didn't have them. I didn't learn them in school, so I got to be an adult without them. And, and I can tell you that anyone can learn them, and it can transform your life the way that it's transformed mine.
0: And I think it's going to be important that we have this type of education for our children, however we introduce it, uh, because violence isn't always physical, but it still has a reaction from a child. As you pointed out, ask your children, what are they hearing? Who's talking about it? And help your children understand how to respond to it. Fear of nuclear war is very, very violent thought for children, as well as adults.
1: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And so there is, I call it the super pandemic of anxiety that we're feeling, Um, there's a lot of anxiety. And it's interesting because if you look at the long-term outcomes of untreated anxiety, there are a lot of the mental health issues that we're seeing today. Um, The US Surgeon General came out and said that our children are having a mental health crisis now. And a lot of that starts with anxiety that can then lead to depression and suicide and substance abuse. And we know that the opposite of anxiety is positive action. Mm -hmm. It's actually doing something positive. So we try to give the kids and their parents positive things that they can do, that they can focus their thoughts on, being part of the solution, on getting outside of themselves, on service, so they can help and heal themselves, so they can return that locus of control inside them, where instead of things happening to you and feeling victimized and helpless and hopeless and angry, you can return that location of control back inside you where you make things happen, where opportunities come, where you can make a difference. And, and that provides hope. And that's what we're all looking for right now. That's that's the key thing that we need is hope.
0: Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. This message coming from you is so powerful, so needed, and it's such a blessing, such a blessing. We didn't even talk about Rose's phone. <laughs> it is That's such true. a blessing. Um, I, I, I'm going to do something I call four for four now. I'm going to ask you four questions, Scarlett, and to which you will give four answers. And the f- first question is, if you're hosting a dinner, you get to host a dinner, you can invite anybody to this dinner you want from any time past to present. Who's at dinner? Who's at your table?
1: Jesse, yeah, Was that allowed? <laughs> yes, absolutely, <laughs> okay.
0: absolutely.
1: You said anyone. So You tell I'm...
0: why now, you tell why they're at the table. We all may think we know why.
1: Uh, Yes. Well, I would love to have Jesse at the table because I would love to uh, look in his eyes again and ask him what he's thinking and ask what his experience has been like and just be present with him and just take him in like I used to when he was alive. Just just eat him up. (laughs) So I would love to have Jesse there. Um, I would love to have my grandmother there. Um, I, I lost my grandmother, um, 20 years ago and I was young and I, I loved her so much. And, She was such a wise woman and I see how she shaped my mom and my mom shaped me. So I would love to have her in front of me and to be able to have an adult conversation with her. She died when I was less than 20 years old, but knowing what I know now and having been through uh, the journey that I've been through, and she had also been through quite a journey herself. She died of ALS. I would love to be able to share with her and learn from her. Um, I would love to uh, have dinner with Mother Teresa because I think that she was uh, such a uh, servant at heart. And I would like to learn more from her about her incredible humbleness and, uh, and, and um, just kind of so that I could model myself after her. And then I would love to have dinner with Martin Luther King. I mean, wouldn't everyone, because he was such an amazing leader that forged such a courageous path that I I use his quotes all the time and he taught us so much and we're still, we're still struggling to follow in his path. And I would love to get him here in the present moment for him to look around and just to gain all the knowledge that I could from him.
0: You know, two we know of who are at, of your four at table and perchance the other two as well, are, um, are historical uh, 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 and legendary to us because of their faith. Yes, yes. How did your faith, how did, and this isn't one of the four, but you occasioned the question, how does, how did, and how does your faith journey for you?
1: My faith, I had a strong faith before, and I'm not really certain how anyone could get through something like I had without faith. Uh, My faith is the most important thing to me. It is very strong. And I have a very close connection. And I try to walk in my faith every single day. I pray a lot. I ask for guidance. I am very grateful. I accept things in my life. And uh, I, I believe that we are we are spirits having a human existence and i believe that i will be with jesse and i i you i actually say usually i used to believe Mm -hmm. and now i know because i've had such incredible spiritual experiences that i've just been given proof and and i'm not worthy of that proof but I've had it and I'm so grateful for it. Wow.
0: Okay, four for four. We're going two for four now. What okay. music are you listening to and why?
1: <clears throat> I, so I thought about this and I have to say that I've been listening to the Rascal Flats Mm-hmm. Uh, the last couple of weeks, you know, I get on a certain uh, album or whatever. And uh, yeah, so I think that um, I love horses, I love riding, and uh, I have a quarter horse now. So I hang out with uh, used to hang out with a lot of people that um, that ride horses and do trail riding, and that the Rascal Flats is popular. So it makes me happy. The songs are substantial. Uh, one of the songs is about a little girl that lost all her hair because she mm-hmm. has an illness. Um, one of them is about Mayberry, you know, just a a, a beautiful town that they want to go back to, and mm-hmm. they talk about relationships, and I can identify with them. So. Uh, I will say that. Um, but I also was uh, in Austin last week with my friend speaking at South by Southwest EDU. And we were listening to the 80s '80s music. So I just put a genre down. But uh, I, I literally took self selfie videos of she and I driving around. And we were we knew every single word to like Madonna songs and different '80s songs, uh, uh, Rick Springfield, uh, Jesse's Girl. So I have I have a selfie of us just singing, and it just reminded me of such simpler times when I was growing up, and I'd be with my girlfriends, and we would just sing at the top of our lungs and just feel the joy. And so those that's the two for four. <laughs> <laughs> Okay,
0: go three.
1: so you got to get four. You got oh four. four. Okay, yeah. Uh, all right, then let's move to seventies because I love seventies music, and if I'm in my car, just. Traveling around, I will listen to uh, '70s like disco and and things like that because it's fun. Uh, I like I when I go out to feed my horses, I dance. I will take that on my phone and I'll just you know I'm doing my chores and I'm mm-hmm. making them fun and so I'm dancing to that those great dance music. I don't think they've had such great dance music since then. And now I'm 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 uh, I'm giving my age away and uh, and then I also like. Um, I like Led Zeppelin. I like, uh, you know, just hard. It's not really hardcore rock music, but um, I like that band. I like 60s music. And so I like the whole genres because I. Some people call it therapy rock. Therapy rock. Therapy rock. It is. (laughs) It is. Yeah.
0: Well, one of my homes is in a horse community, so I'm going to have to to, at some point invite you out and and prepare dinner for
1: you. Okay. Oh, I would love that. We'll have to go riding first. (laughs) You'll have to get me on one first. (laughs) I can do that. I can do Um, that. I'll give you a lesson.
0: (laughs) uh, Oh, date. We got a date. Okay. All right. Um, books. What four books do you uh, recommend to our family and why? So if
1: you have kids, I recommend, or even if you don't, the whole set of Laura Ingalls Wilder's books. Mm. You're my person. Okay, keep going. Tell why, tell why. You know, I, I remember laying in bed with JT and I read him the entire series and I remember, uh, you know, the, the winters where they had an orange and a peppermint stick. And that was, and, and you just with them were like, ah, oh, it's the biggest and the best thing that's ever happened. And you just lived through this time that was so difficult so and different practical solving practical solving absolutely problem solvings and just where we came from mm-hmm. and uh and I I think that um that was a great. That was a great start for him to read those books. And I was actually in the middle of reading them to Jesse when he died. So I would say the whole series of uh, Laura Ingalls Wilder books. I would say Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Mm-hmm. Viktor Frankl was a Holocaust survivor, and he spent years in concentration camps. Uh, and he actually used that time as an experiment. And he watched how people who had everything taken from them, their families, and he had had his family taken from him and, and murdered, his pregnant wife included. Um, they were tortured, stripped of their clothing and dignity. Um, and they. he found that they had one freedom left. And that was the freedom to choose, to choose how they responded. And he Mm -hmm. found those that chose love in their response, not only survived better, but they survived longer. And one of his quotes is my favorite quote. And it's really kind of how I came up with choose Love, because our choices are our power in life. We get, we choose in every single moment how we, how we thoughtfully respond to one another. Um, and so, I would say, "Man, Search for Meaning" absolutely it should be a must-read for every high schooler. It's incredible. Um, I would read uh, "The Choice" by Dr. Edie Egger. Um, We've actually had her on Book Club, and she is also a Holocaust survivor. She is absolutely amazing. Her story is phenomenal. She talks about the power of choice. And I just have to say, if you read it, (laughs) she wrote it after I started the Choose Love movement. Because if you didn't know that, you would think that I copied everything from her almost verbatim. It is incredible uh, and, and such a powerful story. And uh, to watch her go from the Holocaust to choosing love, basically, is really amazing. And then another book that has come up a lot recently, and I read uh, probably 15 years ago, is Power Versus Force by David Hawkins. And that is a very powerful book. It talks about... Uh, It talks about vibration and energy because we're, of course, all energy and we're vibrating at a certain level and anger, hatred, resentment is a very low vibration. Obviously, love is the highest vibration. I think Jesus Christ is the highest vibration and and it's how we can. Uh, lift our vibration and how we should be, how we can be focusing on that um, every day, every day, and how a higher vibration also resonates with better health, physically, mentally, and emotionally. So I think that's a really, really important book.
0: Wow. You know, and I pray it's okay with you for me to say it, you know, I'm just in love with you. I'm- ah, simply in love with you, Thank the you. gift, the gift of what you've learned and delivered in a way that we can hear it. And, you know, composure may disrespect you. I think the, the, the genuine example you give in how you deliver your teachings is so important to us. Your journey is one that I pray nobody ever has to take, yet I fear we all will take it. And you've taught us about fear as a byproduct of stress. And so just taking your lessons, your examples. Um, Yesterday, Pastor talked about receipts. And in my community, we refer to evidence as receipts, right? the receipts you brought to this conversation and to be able to deliver us teachings from them has just simply been incredible. And I'm in love with you for life. And from my heart to your home, Scarlett Lewis, thank you.
1: Thank you so much, Janice. You know, I remember uh, lying with Jesse under one arm and JT under the other, praying. And praying to God and saying, please use me as an instrument of your peace. Every night, that's how I would pray. And then I remember a month after the tragedy, <laughs> with this bolt of lightning of fear, really, uh, oh my God, he is? I answered my prayer. Mm-hmm. And then I was thinking, God, I didn't mean like that. I meant like, I meant like an hour on a Sunday when it was convenient, (laughs) you know, like at goodwill or something, bringing in donations. I didn't mean like that. And then I had to, I had to process a bit. And then I, I thought, okay, you know what? That's what I prayed for he answered my prayer. And so if I was in it hundred percent, then I'm in it 150% now. And Mm -hmm. so continue to use me. And so I, I continue to pray that he does. It took me a little while to get the courage back (laughs) to say that prayer again, uh, because he does hear us and he does answer. And, uh, and so I just, I just want to thank you. Thank you for, uh, for this beautiful time and for, uh, for your beautiful questions and for enabling me to share what I believe is a really, really important message. And I will just follow it up by saying that um, I invite all of your family to go onto our website because our resources are no cost. You know, we talked about how important they are to get these into schools and the homes and communities. I mean, we are stronger together and we are coming out of a time when we have been isolated, literally. We need to come together and support one another. And the way to do that is by choosing love. So we have all sorts of resources. They're all no cost. And I offer them as a gift to your family, from my family, from my Choose Love team family to your family. And I just encourage everybody to go on and check them out and see if, if they might work for them.
0: They very much will. And we're, we're, we're making sure they have access to that, the, uh, the instruction to that. Um, you heard me say that we've got people across the world in our company. And right now, many of our employees in Europe are looking for solutions as well and assistance. So with your permission, we will also be posting your information and how people can get this help they need inside of our organization and along with our client uh, base and others, uh, wherever we can to help. Thank you. Thank you so much.